Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Welcome along to Supercharged with me, Anna Geary. I'm with you live in studio until seven o'clock. Now this evening, we are talking about a subject that I'm passionate about. You could say borderline obsessed with. Skin, yes, skin, the largest organ of our body. Now on the show, we won't be just giving tips and advice about skin. We'll be exploring different skin conditions from acne to psoriasis. And we'll also be delving into the emotional and psychological impact that skin conditions can have on us. So many have reached out or messaged ahead of the show this evening. Here's a snippet from a few who've already got in touch. Subsequently found out that I had psoriasis from the stress of working in a COVID environment during the lockdown. Over the past 10 years, although doctors have tried, no one's been able to help me. People were looking around my face as opposed to looking me in the eye because my skin was so bad. I was blaming stress of lockdown and diet, but it was actually uh, turned out to be my coil. It's just almost so unacceptable to actually have problem skin in our society. We are going to hear more from those later on and I'll also be chatting with people who are going to share an honest account of their skin journeys. We're also going to hear from one of Ireland's top dermatologists giving us the facts and offering advice. So what's your chance to send in your skin questions? You can text us on 51551 or email at supercharged at rte.ie. This is a place where we share our personal stories. So today I'm going to share a little bit of mine. I battled with acne from my teens all the way into my 30s. Like It was quite severe at times. And I say this at the risk of maybe sounding superficial or self-absorbed to some, but this isn't a vanity thing when it comes to skin conditions. It goes so much deeper. Like I tried every cream, every quick fix, treatments, antibiotics, you name it. And it consumed me at times. It affected things like my self-confidence, my self-esteem, my mood, even my plans. Like There were so many things I didn't do because my skin held me back. And I don't just mean from a work perspective, I mean on a personal level. Like I was so self-conscious. And it's only the close few that were in my life that knew how much it actually impacted on me. And I remember the days where I'd have a bad breakout. I became really good at concealing them. Like I don't just mean covering it up with makeup, I mean covering up that real sense of insecurity as well. And now that I look back at it with a little bit of perspective, And having spoken to so many of you this week, I realise how debilitating and painful it can be to suffer from a skin condition. And I use the word suffer with the greatest respect. So this evening on Supercharged, we'll be talking to a psychotherapist about the emotional impact of skin issues and how to manage it. And in our tip of the week section, we'll learn how to support skin health with our nutrition. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. When I was chatting with people during the week on social media about skin, so many of you were telling me how your lives have been affected by acne, psoriasis, eczema and so many other conditions. But there was one disease I hadn't heard of before. One that shocked me to be honest and it is so often misdiagnosed and even mistaken for a sexually transmitted infection. Barry McGrath's symptoms began when he was only 13 with a boil that oozed both blood and pus. However, he wasn't diagnosed for two decades 
living with these painful lumps and undergoing repeated surgeries. It was a new GP who finally diagnosed his condition, hydrodenitis suppurativa, or HS as it's more commonly known. Thank you so much, Barry, for joining us on Supercharged. Could you first explain in simple terms what HS is? Sure. HS causes bumps and lumps to appear on certain parts of the skin. Over time, these fill up with pus and our blood, causing a lot of pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. You get some relief from it when they start oozing their contents or leaking their contents. You can get instant relief from it when they explode or burst. The latter gives rise to many social embarrassments, as you can imagine, because you're left with a big stain on your skin and on Mm -hmm. your clothing. Over time, this repeated cycle of uh, filling up, oozing mm-hmm. and our bursting, it gives rise to a lot of scarring and long-term damage on the skin. It's, it actually, it's, it sounds quite traumatic. Like, what causes it? They don't know. The jury's still out. It's thought to be a combination of factors. About one in three people have a first-degree relative, a sibling, a parent, mm-hmm. a cousin that has it. So genetics has a bit to do with it. Increasingly in recent years, an overactive immune system is thought to play really? a role. Um, a lot of drugs that are in development are targeting certain uh, areas of the immune system. Dysregulated or an imbalance in the bacteria in and around the affected area is also thought to contribute, and hormonal changes. It often kicks in in and around puberty when there's a big hormonal change in life. Many females report they only develop it during their first pregnancy, and for some females it only kicks in after menopause. And you mentioned the affected area. Like, where is the affected area typically? The most common areas are the armpits, on the breasts in women, the bum, the genitals, the inner thighs and the area in between the bum and the genitals. So Those very, are the most very common. very intimate areas. Yes, absolutely. And you were only 13 when you first got symptoms. Like, How did it affect your life growing up? Well, at school prior to that, I took part in a lot of team sports. I was popular in school, etc, etc. I withdrew from team sports because I didn't want people to see uh, these bumps and lumps appearing on my body and have to explain. So it was quite difficult, yeah. Um, with relationships, a lot of my pals were beginning to explore things with, with the girls, etc. And I withdrew from that. A lot of people do that. They withdraw from it rather than have to explain. And you went quite a long time without being diagnosed. So like, can you explain to us, like, how did it feel when you were finally diagnosed and you knew what it was? There was two reactions. I felt happy to know that there was a name to this and that there was something I could work with. Prior to that, I, it was just bumps and lumps and it was misdiagnosed as one or two other things and at the same time then I went online and I looked it up and I kept on seeing words like incurable and I was in clinical research at the time and I thought this was a cruel joke. Um, I was working to help people and all of a sudden I was one of those that needed help. Mm -hmm. It's an incurable condition and that led to a lot of despair. But you set up HS Ireland and a Facebook support group as well. And you have over a thousand members that it's now supporting. So like, how has setting up that support group helped you? Well, 
I wasn't the only one to set those up. I was, I'm one of several who, who established this. Uh, the, the group, it isn't just for people with the condition, it's family members. Brilliant. We also have nurses there who want to learn more about people under their care. Mm-hmm. We have parents, we've extended family members, and we also have dermatologists who want to know more. Interacting with others, no one understands what it's like, only someone else who has it. And interacting with others has been very, very rewarding. Of because you always learn something and everyone can teach someone else something about how to cope and how to adapt mm. and how to get by with this. And I found it tremendously rewarding to interact with others and it's deeply enriched my life. And in that respect, I consider myself very, very fortunate to have met this fantastic group of people. That's wonderful to hear that something really positive can come out of such a horrific situation for you. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you now? I'm I'm very well. I'm one of the lucky ones, Anna. I'm in a type of remission and have been since about February 2014, which was my last surgery and hopefully my last ever surgery. Yes. Prior to that, I couldn't walk. I couldn't manage the stairs at home without extreme discomfort. I now hike uh, every weekend. I'm doing things that were nearly taken away from me. Like a lot of people, you only appreciate these things when you lose Mm -hmm. them or they're very nearly taken away. I'm enjoying life. I'm in a relationship for the first time since 2006. Oh, that's wonderful. And I've met a wonderful person, Sinead, and she's uh, extremely understanding and compassionate. I'm enjoying life. And look, I take nothing for granted, but um, I try and enjoy each moment as it comes. Well, Dee Dalton is just one person who found support in that Facebook group. And she's joining us now on the line. Welcome to Supercharged, Dee. So you had your first symptom while in 2006, but you weren't diagnosed until 2017 at a specialist clinic in St. Vincent's. Like, How does it yeah. affect your day-to-day life? Oh, everything from sitting to walking. You know, as Barry was saying there, getting up the stairs, sometimes it's quite painful. It's a debilitating debilitating disease mm-hmm. everyday life you don't know I mean because they can fill up so fast as well you could have you could have plans for tomorrow that just oh really can't go ahead again like in terms of your everyday life like would it affect your you know what you wear you know driving sitting down absolutely absolutely yeah every day is is a struggle with HS um, when when you're really having a bad flare, and the pain you... affects what you're going to wear, how you're going to get somewhere driving. I suffer mostly with my backside, mm-hmm. so just to sit down has it, it is is trouble. Yeah, and when you said it affects what you wear, like how how do you have to change what you wear? Um, it just. I suppose in a lot of ways to cover up yourself or to cover up your dressings um, mm-hmm. before there, there's now dedicated dressings for HS and um, HydroWare. But before that, it was simply making your own nearly. Sometimes I was always saying, get things, stick them on the inside of your top, you know, just yeah. to stop your clothes sticking to it. And um yeah, nearly always having to make sure you're wearing loose fit and clothing. It's it's hard then to say, oh, I'm going to get dressed up today and the next thing you have friction from everything and anything. That is so, it so tough. And I can hear it in your voice. Like I can hear, you know, it is difficult to talk about this stuff. And honestly, thank you on behalf of everybody for opening up because I'm sure there's people out there that are experiencing it or maybe perhaps have been misdiagnosed and are wondering, is this what they are suffering from? So to those that are listening, Dee, 
I said, how do they cope with it? Like, what would you say to somebody that is feeling isolated because of their own skin condition, whether it's HS or not? Yeah, open up. That's that's the the number one because even to your own GP, right? Even with my diagnosis, you nearly expect that they know exactly what you're going through, but they don't unless you're saying this. This is happening in my life. My everyday life is is hard to live. You know, um, open up. Tell someone that you're you're struggling, whether it be whatever skin condition, it's not just skin deep. It's, you need the support from your friends, from your family. They're not sick of listening to you, you know. Um, That's so well said. That's so well said. Like, it just makes sense. Like, sometimes we don't want to burden people, but it's so important that we talk. And people are there for us. We just, we, the are. hardest part is talking. Dee, thank you and Barry for coming on and being brave enough to share your stories. I, we really appreciate it here in Supercharged. And for more information, you can go to hsireland.ie. Now, according to the National Clinical Programme for Dermatology Model of Care, over half of the population is affected by skin disease annually. Almost one in five GP consultations relates specifically to skin. And as I mentioned earlier, I was talking about skin on my Instagram page this week and I conducted a series of polls. Thousands of you responded yet again, so thank you. And over 70% said they had in the past or currently live with a skin condition. And 72% said that their day-to-day living is impacted by that skin condition. So many of you have got in touch about your skin stories. Have a listen. As the first lockdown hit, I was just after having my third child. I turned to food and the extra glass of wine. But soon after, I soon began to break out on a lot of spots on one side of my face and they never seemed to calm or go away. I was actually quite glad of masks at the time. I was blaming stress of lockdown and diet, but it was actually uh, turned out to be my coil that was causing the problem. It took me a long time to work this out, maybe about a year. As soon as I got it removed, the spots went away, but I was left with a lot of scarring. Hi Anna, it's Alistair Hart here from West Cork. When I was 12, I developed acne and it got worse and worse and worse and it really, really affected me uh, psychologically more than people would know uh, all through my teens and into my 20s as well. People were looking around my face as opposed to looking me in the eye because my skin was so bad. It really knocked my confidence and it was something that I had to work on. just almost so unacceptable to actually have problem skin in our society. No matter how sore my skin was, no matter how red it was, it could be peeling off my face, but I'd apply and reapply makeup and put on moisturizer to just get it to somewhat sit because I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. And this idea of anyone seeing me with any kind of problem in my face just gave me this actual layer of confidence. It was really a mask. 
So that was just some of the stories you have shared about your skin journeys. And I totally understand the way you can develop little coping mechanisms because of your skin issues. Like, I was often so glad to be wearing my helmet when I was playing camogie so that it hid my breakouts. And like, sometimes if my skin was particularly inflamed, I wouldn't take my helmet off until I got back into the dressing room long after the match was over. So I get it. And I'm sure all of our stories this evening sound familiar to our next guest. With me now in studio is Professor Anne-Marie Tobin, a consultant dermatologist at Tala Hospital and the HSE's clinical lead in dermatology. Anne-Marie, welcome to Supercharge. Thank you for being with us. You were listening to the stories. There's so many messages pouring in. What are the most common conditions that you see? Thanks for having me on, Anna. And even though the stories are familiar to what you hear, they're still very, very hard and traumatic Mm -hmm. for patients. And I don't think that people who don't have a skin problem really appreciate just the impact of having something wrong with your skin. So the most common actually is skin cancers. So 50% of the work that dermatology does deals with skin cancer. So if you take skin cancer into account, it accounts for more than any other skin cancer, any other cancer combined every year. So that's 50% of the work. And the other 50% is with inflammatory skin disease. So that encompasses psoriasis, acne, eczema and that excellent section you've just done on hydratinitis superativa, which really probably up to the last 10 years has been a bit of an orphan disease and not recognised or patients didn't receive really the treatment that they should have received. And a lot of people are listening now. They're getting ready to take off their masks for good over the coming weeks and months. Like, what advice would you give to people that might be worried about their skin at the moment? Well, actually, we haven't seen a huge amount of maskne or macne. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things, like if people are getting spots around uh, their mouth area, you can not using a very heavy moisturiser or very heavy products around the area because that kind of occludes the, you know, the follicles and the sebaceous glands more. So washing with a very mild cleanser and then maybe using a much lighter moisturiser, like a lotion in the area. And I know you mentioned skin cancer there. And for a lot of people suffering from skin conditions like skin cancer Mm. or anything, At what stage do they come looking for help to their GP or their dermatologist? Well, with skin cancer, the the main thing is knowing how to recognise it. And really everyone in Ireland should be able to do that because we've quite a high incidence of skin cancer because we're so fair skinned. So there's two types. There is the most serious type of of skin cancer, which is melanoma. And there's about 12,000 of those diagnosed, um, or sorry, 1,200 of those diagnosed every year. So... It's basically the A, B, C, D, E rule. So A is if you have a new mole or an existing mole. So it's about 50-50 if it becomes asymmetrical. So it, it, it becomes 
you can't fold it over on itself in one axis. B is if the border becomes irregular. D is diameter if it increases in size. And E is a changing lesion. And then with regard to non-melanomous skin cancer, if someone develops a red bump or a scar or a, a sore on their skin that won't heal, they should in the first instance go to their GP. That's brilliant to know. And as you said, all of us should be yeah. checking for that regularly when we do have such high rates in Ireland. And you mentioned the other 50% then are people that come in with the other skin conditions. And we heard from Barry and Dee and we've heard from our listeners already. Just how big of an impact can skin conditions have on someone's life? I suppose I can't even comment on that because it, it really is the patients and it's a very individual thing. The, the only thing I would say that that that's improving is that we're much more aware of it as, as clinicians, but also regulatory authorities are requiring more and more. Not only has your drug to be effective, but they're incorporating things called patient reported outcome measures. And in fact, Barry has just been involved in a series for HS. So they are beginning to, t- to take into account the patient's perspective. But I think the impact of a severe skin condition like psoriasis or, psori- or eczema, and actually there's no hierarchy in one being worse than the other, kind of an un- unbelievable impact. I mean, all our clinics have patients who never got married or never had a relationship because they had psoriasis or because they had eczema or they gave up on sport. So it's almost life, you know, the the impact over a whole lifetime. It's life changing, like it can be. and Very much so. And listening to some of the people, you can hear it in their voice just how much of an impact it is having. So with that said then, how important are psychological supports for for people with skin conditions? And are they even available? So I I think psychological support... they're incredibly important and truthfully, we don't have good access to them in Ireland. But I'd say my major concern, my main, more of a priority for me would actually be having more dermatologists and better access to dermatology for patients. Because certainly patients require psychological support, but they also require treatment. Mm-hmm. So if you get treatment that can go a long way towards helping. And then, of course, you probably do need psychological support, but there's patients in some parts of the country who don't have access to good dermatology services. Yeah, I was actually reading it. It was like 43,000 people are currently waiting on dermatological appointments Mm -hmm. and 4,000 children. So there is a lot of people that are needing to see. And as you said, it's the access, it's Mm -hmm. getting the numbers up. And with that said, then, there have been some great advancements in treatments in recent years to help people. What are the most exciting ones? Well, I suppose definitely the most exciting ones have actually been in eczema. So to roll back a little bit. So psoriasis in 2010 was largely treated by an older medication called methotrexate. And since then, there's been new treatments called biologics and really the number of patients who will tell you that they've been life-changing is incredible. So that was psoriasis so we've much much better treatment for psoriasis and then eczema for example lagged behind. So just last year uh, a new medication called dupilumab so a biologic for eczema patients became available and then there's even on Friday there was a new medication for eczema made available um, through by the HSE. 
hydradenitis is not in that space yet. It's quite, it's a complex disease, but there is so much research going on. So there is a European Hydradenitis Foundation um, and it's having its 11th meeting actually next month week after next Mm -hmm. and you can just watch the numbers of publications and the amount of research that is going on and it's just stratospherically increased so what we're hoping is that that HS will move into that space that psoriasis um, is in the same for eczema and with acne we were very fortunate because um, a very effective medication was developed um, called roactane or isotretinone um, and it's really proved to continue to be effective. So we've been lucky with acne in yeah. that regard. And for a lot of people listening that may be experiencing skin conditions, why is it that some of us are more prone than others? Like how much of it is actually related to genetics? Well, that depends on the individual condition, but genetics definitely play a role. So in psoriasis, about a gay, about 30% of patients will have not even an immediate family history, but it could be a cousin or a second um, to your relative. Mm-hmm. With HS, again, a third of patients will have a family history. And with eczema, it's probably higher. So there's definitely a genetic mm-hmm. preloading. And then with acne, some there isn't a, a definite linkage between acne and a genetics. But certainly if you've had a, you know, your, one of your parents has had more severe acne, it does slightly mm-hmm. increase your risk. So genetics does play a role. I think that's important for people to know because sometimes you can beat yourself up asking what have I done wrong to no. say that this is happening. But even being aware of that can just allow yourself oh, to yes. look for treatment then and, and yeah. to feel it's not your fault. Oh, it's definitely. None of those conditions are your fault. They're absolutely not. And they're not because you ate chocolate or your diet is incorrect or, you know, there really isn't. And for people listening then, you know, that might be suffering from the eczema, the psoriasis, the rosacea, the acne. Can we give like some basic starter tips to help them at home? You know, like okay. right now, what they can do tomorrow? Well, it varies between the four conditions. So you go with psoriasis. So psoriasis is often scaly and itchy. So uh, it's always good to use a moisturiser once or twice a day. And what that does is it prevents its scaling and particularly last thing at night time um, so that you're less itchy because you're more itchy at night time because you heat up and your skin heats up. So that, that's for psoriasis. The other thing is a very old fashioned treatment, but it can be really effective is cold tar, which you can actually buy across the counter. And then there are lifestyle things you can do for psoriasis. Now, it's not the full story of treatment, but Um, you know smoking doesn't help psoriasis Um, alcohol intake can drive it to a certain extent and then just being being healthy about food not being overweight so that's psoriasis for eczema the big thing with eczema is the barrier to your skin is impaired so what you're constantly trying to do is repair the barrier so you want to put moisture back into the skin that you're losing and also avoid any irritants so fragrance free um, sodium lauryl sulfate free and you don't have to spend a fortune 
You can buy Silcox base. It's about six euro for a big tub of it. Um, you, you know, you can buy all those products in your pharmacy. So soap avoidance and a regular moisturiser. There's another really nice tip for eczema. If you're getting a lot of infections driving your eczema, there's a thing called uh, Milton baths or bleach baths. Three times a week, a tiny amount of Milton into a bath and a soak. With regard to HS, there's it's three things drive HS. One is the family history. The other thing is smoking. So I've yet to find a patient who came and to the clinic and gave up smoking who said it doesn't help immediately, but down the line that it didn't help. And I think I'm seeing all the questions coming in here on screen about acne and we're definitely going to get to those in a few minutes. Just to tell people, you can find out lots more information about different skin conditions, plenty of tips on skincare and a specialist Ask a Nurse service on irishskin.ie. And Professor Tobin is staying with us to answer some of your questions that are flying in right now on my screen, might I tell you. Keep the text coming in on 51551 or email on supercharged at rte.ie. That's all coming up after the break. Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. Welcome back. This is the part of the show where we put your questions to our expert. And there's so many questions coming in about skin. Keep them coming in on 51551 and we will get through as many as we can. The first question, Anne-Marie, is what would you recommend for psoriasis on the scalp? It was gone for years, but it started to come back again. So there's two things uh, that can help. So if it's very thick... Um, you, if it's thick scales, you can descale it by using a coal tar preparation and you can leave it on overnight. They say you can't, but you can. Um, so that's one thing. And the other way you can descale, which is really simple and quite a nice method, actually, is to use uh, something like coconut oil or almond oil to lift off the scale. And then if it's just scale, which is spread throughout the scalp, often... Um, a shampoo, uh, either something like a coal tar based shampoo or something ni- like Nizoral can help. Well, a lot of people are actually asking that same question. So you've just given a lot of people help there all in one go. We actually have an audio question coming in here. Let's take a listen. Hello, I'm wondering about polycystic ovary syndrome that my 17 year old daughter has been advised to go on a contraceptive pill for. I'm not really clear on why that would be the way to go and if it's the right thing to do. And maybe you could explain to me what exactly polycystic is because I'm a bit lost. Thank you. So what do you think of that? Because PCOS is something that you'd hear more yeah. and more about, but I myself don't really know the ins and outs of it. So PCOS is where you have cysts in the ovary, but it's very much a clinical diagnosis. So um, it has to be made based on an ultrasound and also um particular hormone profile. But essentially what I think this um, listener is talking about is acne. So the cutaneous or the skin manifestations of polycystic are acne. Also, um, sometimes you can have hair thinning, but I'm sure that's not the case. And then actually hydradenitis is more common. A lot of our um, female patients would have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And if your daughter is reporting and if she's definitely being diagnosed with PCOS or polycystic, um, what she, sh- she should be noticing or often patients will notice is that their acne gets worse before their period. And certainly the oral contraceptive pill can be very effective in treating that kind of acne. So it's a quite a reason, I would assume, given the diagnosis, that it's quite a reasonable thing to do. 
Another one coming in is I've been getting more and more skin tags in the past few years and I'm in my 60s. What can I do? So if you're getting a lot more skin tags, um, one of the things to do is make sure that you have a fasting glucose done because um, skin tags can be um, a sign of a thing called insulin resistance, which is a sort of a pre-diabetic phase. So that's one thing. And the other thing that works for skin tags is cryotherapy or liquid nitrogen and loads of GPs will spray them and take them off for you. Well, that's great. No, thank you. And we have another audio question coming in, I believe. Hiya, Anna. I'm wondering, is there anything that will help with acne scarring, like pockmarks? I'm in my 30s and they've never faded, so I'm very self-conscious about it. And I'm wondering, is there anything that can be done? Some of them are very deep. Thanks. So many people can relate to acne scarring. So you finally have the acne cleared and then you have the scarring to contend with. Yeah, and actually they can be very effectively treated. So um, the type of scarring that your listener is is talking about sounds like atrophic scarring, which is sort of dipped into the skin. So they can be treated with filler. Um, Unfortunately, it's not available in the public service, but there are dermatologists and I would recommend going to a very experienced dermatologist to have this done, but they can be treated with filler. And then if there's surface changes, um, resurfacing lasers like Fraxel or um, can certainly improve the texture of the skin. And then if if they're red, you can also get um, laser treatment that will fade the redness. So there is, there's definitely treatment. And there's a quick one coming in here. Are there any alternatives to Roaccutane for severe acne? I'm just reluctant to go on it. What would you say? So, and I can understand completely why people are reluctant um, to go on Roaccutane. Um, So to put it into context, Roaccutane is the most effective treatment that we have for acne. So four out of five people that you treat with a course of Roaccutane, their acne goes away and stays away. And the reason it does that over antibiotics or other treatments is that it actually shrinks down the sebaceous glands, which is the oil gland. Um, So it it is the most effective treatment. There are other combinations of antibiotics which can be effective, but they don't produce the remission. And I think with Roaccutane, you know, if you're going to, um, a dermatologist will go through the side effects and you're very closely monitored. But I I can completely understand reluctance or certain amount of worry. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for all of your questions. I think, Anne-Marie, we're going to have to get you back in again because <laughs> they are just coming in in their droves. Of course, thank you to everybody and to Anne-Marie for coming into studio this evening to answer your questions and to give us all of the information. Now, stay tuned because we are going to be getting advice from a psychotherapist on how to cope emotionally and psychologically when we're experiencing any skin issues. Stick around. You won't want to miss this. Back after these. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Welcome back. We are talking all things skin this evening. And if you don't think at this stage that there can be a connection between your mind and your skin, then listen to these. Hi Anna. I have a condition called urticaria and angioedema where... 
red itchy welts and swelling cover me from head to toe it can last for 24 hours or it can last for six months I've had it for the last 10 years and been in and out of hospital I feel completely debilitated when I have it I'm usually quite a positive person but I completely retreat because I don't have the energy to explain to the world what's happening but it's also quite traumatic and upsetting and I feel like over the past 10 years although doctors have tried no one's been able to help me. Hi my name is Neve, and I'm from Dublin. I work in an emergency department and during the first lockdown I was looking after COVID patients when I noticed that I had a little bit of a sore on my back and when I put my hand out I found a bit of my skin had come away and I subsequently found out that I had psoriasis uh, probably caused from the stress of working in a COVID environment during the lockdown. It's impacted hugely on my life. I have spots all over me. Everybody says if I'd be bitten during the summer, it takes away your confidence. There's many, many people like me who get these autoimmune kind of skin disorders as a result from stress or various different things going on in life. So skin conditions can really impact our quality of living, our self-esteem, our self-confidence. And did you know that our internal dialogue can have a huge impact on our skin health? And it may also help us to deal with the challenges that come along with our skin. So with me now is Anne Bracken, cognitive behavioural psychotherapist, to explain the psychological impact that skin conditions can have on us. Anne, welcome to Supercharged. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anna. So let's get straight into it. What is that connection between skin conditions that we experience and our internal dialogue? Well, as Anne-Marie said earlier, it's quite individual, you know, the experience that we have in terms of our responses. So one person could be going through an experience of having acne or psoriasis or HS and have, you know, a lot of distress emotionally, psychologically. And another person maybe may have the same severity of the skin condition and have an accepting, self-accepting maybe even continue to be sociable and just accept that this is very distressing, but I accept myself as a whole and it's not going to define who I am. Whereas somebody else maybe might be, become really, really self-critical and as a result then it might lead to low mood, maybe even depression, or that internal stress can escalate into anxiety and then perhaps social anxiety and they may avoid people and that can deepen that internal critic. So they, the critical internal dialogue can then escalate some more and it becomes like a vicious cycle really of you know first of all non-acceptance then self-criticism then that then feeling stressed about being stressed Mm -hmm. because as some of your listeners said you know some of these conditions are also exacerbated by stress so you know it can affect hormones it can balance it can affect the immune issue uh, immune related issues as well so um the person individually can also become really stressed about the uh, impact of the stress itself. So if people are reacting differently to their skin conditions and you're saying it's, you know, it is involved with the self-critic, is it, is it largely to do with just the self-critic or are there other factors that kind of determine the severity of how we deal with these skin conditions? 
Well, as I was listening to some of your contributors, I noticed, you know, that for some people, it was really, they were in pain. It was, it's covered their whole body. And in that instant, it's important that a person, you know, acknowledges that they're in pain and the self-care piece comes in. So rather than challenging themselves, like overwhelming themselves and saying, I have to go to this social, um, this social event, whether I feel in pain or not. Whereas somebody else maybe who is, uh, has, some, uh, has some acne or has some skin uh, issue, um, but they might be very, very critical and yet not have as many symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the dialogue that we have, you can actually note it. So if a person, for example, gets, takes an A4 sheet and thinks about when my skin is activated, when it's flared up, what do I usually say to myself about myself? Mm-hmm. And also maybe what do I say about how I believe other people will perceive me? And you almost know, fact so check it, like saying, is this, is this, like, are they saying that? Is there evidence to, to support that they are saying it? Because often we think it, but the reality is very different. Yes, exactly. So our thoughts aren't always facts and we need to develop a, a self-compassionate dialogue. So, for example, first of all, bringing it to our awareness, because many times that kind of self-critic, it, it, that critical internal dialogue is habitual. And in the same way that our behavior is habitual. Mm-hmm. So we, we get into this um, way of talking to ourselves when we're feeling distressed. And it will be exactly the same or just slightly different the next time a skin flare up yeah. happens. So it's important to really note down, what am I saying to yeah. myself? What do I believe about myself because this is happening? And what do I believe other people do I believe other people are judging me? Do I believe they're assessing me? Um, and, and noting also what you perceive about other people. And, and then on the other side, just uh, be a little bit more compassionate and think, what would I say to a friend going through this? Or uh, when I'm not feeling this distressed, how would I usually talk to myself mm-hmm. if I had these thoughts? And, you know, rely on that self-supportive dialogue a little bit more. And also, you know, combining that with, with challenging themselves in terms of going out socially, meeting up with friends at the same time with a self-supportive dialogue rather than avoidance and avoiding people socially, which can actually escalate a sense of depression. Yeah, so as you said, challenging yourself to do more, being compassionate with yourself, fact-checking what you're telling yourself to try and break the cycle. And I know like a lot of skin conditions can often be perceived by some as superficial or nothing more than a cosmetic nuisance. What would you say to that? Well, nobody likes to, you know, we all want to feel that we're, uh, you know, good enough or feeling that we're well enough or that we look good enough. So it's completely, uh, it's, it's normal to feel a sense of uh, Ill, feeling ill at ease if you don't feel that you're putting your most confident step forward. However, it's important that we, so on one hand, it's accepting our feelings. It's on one hand saying, I accept that I'm feeling really challenged by this. And of course, you know, I don't want to feel, uh, I want to feel well, whether it's in my skin or whether it's in my energy levels or, you know, people want to feel good about themselves. So it's okay um, to say, I don't feel so good when there's a skin flare up. I feel really self-conscious and acknowledging those feelings, Mm -hmm. acknowledging those thoughts and acknowledging maybe the distress that you feel. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's important that you don't layer on an extra level of self-criticism of um, you know self-downing of self-shaming mm-hmm. so the type of dialogue the type of 
way of talking to yourself that actually escalates the problem rather than supports you through a problem. So allowing yourself to be vulnerable, but also supporting yourself in how you talk to yourself through it. And I suppose speaking of self-criticism, we live in a world now of social media. We're bombarded by this mm. ideal of perfection and perfect skin. Like, why do we do it to ourselves? Why do we compare ourselves to others? And the impact that that can have on that has to be severe. Well, exactly. And it's, you know, usually when we're comparing ourselves to others, we do what's known as compare and despair. So in other words, we compare ourselves down. We look for a person that we think, oh, I like her skin or I like his mm-hmm. skin. So I'm going to now compare myself down to this person. Or we look for somebody that we think is more intelligent, I'll compare myself down to them. Or we think somebody has more money in the bank, I'll compare myself down to them. So we seek out individuals that we believe are doing better than us. And naturally then, we're going to self-down if we compare ourselves mm-hmm. to them. And it's not, you know, in truth, if we, you know, if we want to compare ourselves, we have to get a clipboard and, and you know, <laughs> compare ourselves to 250 people generally, in, you know, out there yeah. uh, in the main street. But rather what we do is we find the person that we believe looks perfect or yeah. acts perfect or has the perfect job. And then what we do is we go, I'm not good enough. And it's really about tuning into that uh, self-downing or that self-shaming and working on changing that in a positive way, really. I think a lot of people can identify with that, myself included. It is so interesting to hear that we can be our own worst enemy and our best support all at the same time when it comes to our skin health. And thank you so much for chatting with us this evening thank on Supercharge. It has been brilliant. You can check out more of Anne's tips on our website, annebrackentherapy.com or on Instagram at annebrackentherapy. Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. Now it's time for our tip of the week section and we can't talk about skin without mentioning nutrition. So with me now is Daniel Davey, performance nutritionist and author of the number one bestseller, Eat Up, Raise Your Game. Daniel, it's great to have you on Supercharged. Let's dive straight in. Lovely. My first question, how can our nutritional choices support our skin health? Well, I, I suppose there's a, there's a couple of things to start. Uh, it's, it's not that nutrition can treat uh, conditions with your skin, but it can certainly help nourish your skin and keep your skin healthy and vibrant. So you got to start with uh, a diet that has plenty of variety, uh, good sources of protein, healthy fats and, and lots of vitamins and minerals. And of course, not to forget fluids, water, staying good, uh, keeping your hydration levels up um, is certainly going to help too. Can I jump in there and ask about water? Because we hear so much talk about drinking water, staying hydrated. There's so many types of water available. Ionised, alkaline, coconut. What type should we be drinking? Well, yeah, well, I suppose the the world has evolved so much in, on, in food in general and the, what we drink is, is certainly no different. But if we can get good clean, whether it be tap water or bottled water uh, or filtered water, if you want, uh, certainly the cleaner, the better. But it's not like we need to seek out any mm-hmm. particular type of water for, for any added benefits. We actually got a text coming in. Can cups of tea be counted as your water intake? I feel like my mom could have texted that in, actually. <laughs> it sure can. Uh, so it, it, if you're a regular or habitual uh, 
tea or coffee drinker, then uh, it can contribute to your to your fluid balance. So h- here's the thing: if you're not a habitual drinker of coffee or tea, uh, there may be a there may be a, a mild dehydrating effect, okay. but a, a glass of water on top of your cup of tea or coffee will will certainly help to balance that out. So tea is getting two thumbs up. That's brilliant to hear. So now, what items should we have in our shopping basket to get healthier skin? Yeah, so I mean, it always has to start with plants. So the more green vegetables and the more variety that we can we can get in uh, to our diet, uh, the more varied it is, the better because that's going to support our our digestive system. It's going to support a healthy microbiome. Uh, it's going to provide us with the kind of key vitamins like vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin A, mm-hmm. um, nuts and seeds. Uh, another great sources of, of vitamin vitamin E um, and of course uh, selenium is another key nutrient as well which found in poultry seafood and, and things like that There's so many other questions that I have for you but we've run out of time I think we need to do an Instagram live on this because there's so much benefit that just comes from understanding what we eat and our nutrition and how it can impact on just good skin health Thank you so much for jumping on our tip of the week section I promise my shopping bag is going to be brimming with all the good stuff next week Daniel. You can find out plenty of recipes, tips and info on Daniel's website at davynutrition.com or on his Instagram page at davynutrition. Now we certainly packed a lot into this evening's show. If you do have any concerns or worries about possible skin conditions, you can check out the Ask a Nurse service on irishskin.ie or talk to your GP as a starting point. You can listen back to this evening's show for all the information and previous shows at rte.ie forward slash supercharged or on the Radio Player app. My thanks to our production team, to Mahi, Louise and John and Harry Buckless on sound. Thanks to all of our guests today. And as always, thank you to you for sending in your messages, your texts and your emails. Keep in touch. You can contact us at supercharged at rte.e and I'm reachable on Instagram at Anna G. Cork. I love hearing your stories. And try out some of the tips from the show in the week ahead and let me know how you get on. Tune in next Sunday at 6 to Supercharged with me, Anna Geary, on RTE Radio 1. But for now, mind yourselves and mind each other. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. And thanks to Anna and the team, Supercharged is an Ojo radio production for RTE, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. 